Hey there, I'm Kyle Trigstad, politics editor for Bloomberg Government. And I'm Greg Giroux, senior elections reporter for Bloomberg Government. Check out our podcast, Down Ballot Counts. Each week, Greg and I will be breaking down all of those down ballot elections that make up the fight for the U.S. Congress. Listen and subscribe to Down Ballot Counts from Bloomberg Government wherever you get your podcasts. From Washington, this is Talking Tax. I'm your host, Amanda Icone. This week, during the presidential debate, Donald Trump said that he had paid millions of dollars in taxes. But that's not what the New York Times has found. In a bombshell report, the newspaper says that the president paid just $750 in income taxes in 2016, and that he didn't pay any income taxes for most of the past two decades. The president has fought to keep his returns private. Meanwhile, his challenger, Joe Biden, released his returns this week, showing that he and his wife paid nearly $300,000 in taxes last year alone. According to the Times, the president made use of existing tax benefits that should sound familiar to our listeners, including net operating losses, depreciation, tax credits, and other deductions to limit how much he owed to Uncle Sam. Many of the tax breaks are not only legal, but common, even if they do raise questions about the fairness of the tax system in the United States. Joining us to break down what we know about the president's tax strategies is Bloomberg News reporter Laura Davison. Laura, I want to level set here for our listeners who may not be all tax attorneys or tax accountants. There's been a lot of comparisons to that $750 tax bill, including what fast food restaurant workers pay in taxes, but the president doesn't pay taxes through his paycheck every two weeks like you and I do. He's the owner of a family business, which happens to be a real estate development company. That impacts how he is taxed and what tax breaks are available to him. Talk about that a little bit. I mean, that that's important here f- for the rest of our conversation. How is the president taxed? So one of the things that's really important to understand is that the president has a very, very complex uh, system through which he's paying taxes. So he owns hundreds of entities, um, S-corporations, LLCs, um, partnership entities. And, and how these work is these are business entities, but he pays taxes on the, that those profits from those companies on his personal return. So money flows through those companies and then it all flows to him. And then he can basically take all of the income, the deductions, the credits, and come up with a tax bill, which for many years, as the New York Times reported, was very low, you know, $750 or even uh, negative, meaning he had losses that then he could then apply to years when he had some profits. So it's very complicated. This is the way that the tax code works. A lot of the things that um, he does here are, are are 100% legal that you know every sort of uh, small business owner or even large business owner does, though there's some other things that the Times found that, that were maybe a little bit um, questionable, um, several tax attorneys told me. Well, I want to get into some of those in a minute. But one, I want to talk about one of the biggest tax benefits that the president took advantage of based on the Times reporting, which is something called net operating loss deductions. Y- you mentioned... Um, 
you know, in years where the president wasn't making money, those losses could be applied to years when he was making money. How does that work? And and how did the president really use this this benefit, which is often referred to as NOLs? So there's been a lot of different ways that um, that these have worked throughout the years, but there's basically a general principle that um, it's the idea of you're sort of smoothing out your income, right? So for a company that makes a lot of money one year, maybe loses money the other year, a year is sort of an artificial time frame, right? Basically, you're looking at sort of over time, are they making or losing money and how much tax they're paying on that. So that's sort of the the idea here is sort of let, let's smooth out income and tax bills throughout the years here. What the president has has been able to do is because he's he he's in real estate, which is a business that generates a lot of tax deductions. You have depreciation on your buildings. He has also had businesses that have actually lost money, not just paper losses, but actual um, economic losses. So he's been able to generate these huge, huge deductions, which he can really offset uh, many of the years that he has had profits. So he got particularly lucky um, uh, in that the years that he earned money were kind of as The Apprentice was starting, 2005, 2006, 2007, he didn't have enough losses from his prior activities to set those off. He actually had to pay income taxes. But uh, just as the financial crisis hit, 2008, 2009, Congress uh, basically expanded the rules for how much you can use these losses. And he said, look, I have all these losses that I got. I can apply those to the years, a couple years back, 2005, 2006, 2007, when I was making money. And what he did there is he said, look, I you know, have over a billion dollars in losses. I had all these income taxes. IRS, you pay, you need to refund me uh, for those taxes that I paid. And the IRS has a system for this. You, It's called a quickie refund in tax circles. Basically, you, um, you know, kind of fill out this form, you contact the IRS, say, hey, this is how much I think you owe me. The IRS looks at it. And then within 90 days, they need to get a check to you. It is a tentative refund. So they can still audit this and they can still claw it back. But it's a it's, it's sort of a stimulus measure. It's looking at companies that were you know previously profitable. There's a financial downturn. They say, hey, we need stimulus for this companies now. We're going to give them this check and um, away they go. And that's how the that's how Trump was able to, to generate this big refund through using losses and, and offsetting, you know, a couple years of profits. Of course, that's the refund that's now under audit. I want to ask you about that in a minute. He, he also took what seemed to be personal expenses and was able to write those off. Um, hair and makeup is one example. When you have a, a closely held private business like the Trump Organization, where is is there a line between your personal expenses and the expenses of the business? There is a line. It is a little bit fuzzy. And this is something that gets audited all the time. Every small business owner, every business owner is always kind of pushing that. If you have a car that you use for business as well as personal, you know, how much gas are you writing off? How much mileage are you writing off? Um, this is an area where it gets very, uh, very fuzzy very quickly. So for Trump, he had $70,000 worth of haircuts that he deducted. Um, generally speaking, tax attorneys told me that would not be something that, that you could deduct uh, because it's considered a, you know, a personal appearance expense. Though, kind of where it gets tricky is he was an entertainer. He was on The Apprentice at that time. And kind of what the IRS is looking at is, you know, is this something that he would have done otherwise or is this something he did specifically for his job? So there's some precedent for this in the tax code. It's actually a, a case looking at an exotic dancer who um, got um, breast implants for very, very at a very, very large size. And she won her case saying, yes, this was a deductible expense because this is, these are essentially bigger breasts than I would have wanted in my personal life. I'm doing this for my job. So that's sort of a very you know extreme sort of salacious example. But 
Um, there, there, you know, this is what the IRS is looking at is, you know, sort of what is it? Is it personal? Is it a business expense? The, the line is often very tough and this gets litigated very frequently. I also want to add too, there were other things that he mentioned that kind of, uh, raised some red flags for, for some tax attorneys I talked to. They said, uh, specifically the Seven Springs, um, estate he has in Westchester County. Um, he had listed it as a business property, as an investment property, uh, though publicly statements from his, his sons, as well as on the Trump organization website, they talk about it as a family estate. So that's one of those that, that was raised as, you know, look there, he's telling the IRS one thing and sort of talking about it publicly and using it as a different thing that raises a lot of questions of, you know, is this actually something that is, is a business um, that you're running that you could generate, you know, legitimate deductions from, or is this really just a personal vacation property? What else did your sources say that stood out to them that could pose an audit risk for the president? Um, one thing that kept coming up over and over again in conversations I had were these consulting fees that were paid um, for, for projects that the Trump organization was doing. Um, and there was an instance that uh, the New York Times found where uh, the consulting a consulting feed paid matched up with some income that Ivanka Trump reported on a financial disclosure. This raises some red flags because Ivanka Trump was not just a consultant for the Trump organization, she was also an employee. So there's a couple things here that are questionable. Of One, is this just a sort of strategy to get around, um, you know, paying some taxes as well as generating some deductions on this consulting fee um, for this payment to his daughter? The other thing is, is this a way for him to get around some estate and gift tax rules of sort of transferring wealth to the next generation without following the, you know, there's very strict protocols about how you how you pass on wealth um, to your children and your grandchildren. This was something that we saw the New York Times raise in previous reporting several years ago when it looked at a Fred Trump uh, Donald Trump's father and how he used some questionable tactics to to pass on wealth to his children. So this is something that has sort of raised uh, raised flags before, and this was a a situation where they're not sure. There's not enough detail um, in the Times reporting to say that this is for sure something that would be disallowable. But was one of those things that they said if my client were to come in with this, I would I would have a lot of issues and ask a lot of questions. Well, so there's a big gulf between an IRS audit, questionable tax practices, and criminal activity. Where is that line? Why might it be difficult for these types of strategies to 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 hit that limit? I mean, I think we've you've reported that it is unlikely or it would be difficult to bring criminal charges. Why, why is that? So the bar is very high for the IRS to prove that this was criminal activity. As one person put it, uh, you know, you basically need to be lying, cheating, and stealing. You need to be knowingly be doing those things. So sort of making a mistake or, uh, you know, taking a slightly more aggressive position than, you know, than the IRS allows, that's the kind of thing that uh, would not fall under the criminal realm. You have to basically know what the law is and actively try to uh, subvert it. So that's why most tax cases you see are um, are civil cases. And, you you're basically looking at, you know, money changing hands, not necessarily jail time. Um, I talked with a bunch of different attorneys on this and they said, look, it's possible, but it's really not likely. It's a very, you know, you need to have emails or memos of, you know, Trump directing his accountants to do these things or, you know, kind of really, really hard proof that this, this was something that they they knew that they were um, doing something illegal here. Um, so really a, a, an audit um, is, a, is a lot more of a uh, you know, routine matter uh, penalties uh, can be very high. You know, if, especially we're talking about you know a disputed refund of you know seventy million dollars from ten years ago. So that would, if he had to pay that back, he would have to pay you know penalties on top of that, which basically start at twenty five or twenty percent and go all the way up to seventy five percent. So 
big amount there plus interest. So we're talking years on that as well. So he could, you could still be talking that he could get a very big tax bill from the IRS, uh, but it's unlikely that um, that they would pursue criminal charges here. So let's talk about the audit. Why is the audit of the president taking so long to complete? This has apparently been under um, the, the refund that you talked about earlier has been under audit for years. What what is so complex that is making that is that it is taking so long to complete? The short answer is we don't really know why this has taken 10 years. Um, it's very unusual for audits to take quite this long. You know, these things can drag on for years, particularly in complicated situations like this. But we're kind of hitting that point where it's getting, you know, crossing into an unusually long amount of time. Um, it was initially uh, flagged 2010, 2011, um, and it looked like there was, you know, some resolution happening. But then the IRS sort of uh, started digging a little bit more and found more problems. So they kicked it back uh, to do more investigating. It looked like this was going to wrap up um, in 2016, uh, the Times reporting shows. And that, of course, you know, is a uh, right as, the, as Trump was winning the nomination for president. And it hasn't been resolved since then. So that we don't we don't really know what's happening. Uh, there's a lot of speculation that, you know, that there, there's kind of a, a tricky political line here for, you know, does the IRS, uh, you know, how do they, it's not just, uh, you know, another wealthy businessman. It is, um, suddenly, you know, their boss's boss's boss that they're talking about here. So it's, it's a very tricky line for them to to manage here and, and frankly, an unprecedented situation. Well, and the Joint Committee on Taxation has also been involved in some way. What is their role in all of this? Yeah, so they, as a routine matter, look at um, tax refunds that are more than $2 million um, that are issued. And basically, they're not doing the IRS is, you know, the one looking at all the taxpayer returns, figuring out how much they owe coming up uh, with that number. And basically, the, what the, the Joint Committee on Taxation does is they look and see, you know, are there systemic problems here? Are there, you know, kind of legislative issues that we should raise um, that are consistently coming up that are, you know, allowing taxpayers to basically claim too many deductions, too many credits that are allowing them to get uh, too much uh, tax dollars back. So there's this is a special team within the Joint Committee on Taxation. Their staff um, attorneys, basically, they actually sit at the IRS. Uh, they don't sit on Capitol Hill. Um, there are there are members of Congress who are on the Joint Committee of Taxation, um, but they, they aren't involved in this process. This is uh, strictly sort of nonpartisan, um, you know, career staff who, who, who does this, uh, does this work with the IRS. You mentioned earlier the accountants. What about the accountants? What is their role here? And do we know who it is that that may have helped the president fill out his returns? I mean, did uh, we're assuming he had professional help? Who who was that, and what is their role in all of this? So Trump has both inside as well as outside lawyers and accountants who are who are working on his taxes. Uh, Mazars has been his accounting firm for for many years, um, though. In terms of a, a legal defense, he's not going to be able to to rely on that as much. You can't uh, say, "Oh, my lawyer made me do this. My accountant made me do this." Uh, that's that's simply not a defense um, for for a tax case. Uh, you know, I even had one tax lawyer said he said, "I know the most honest and upstanding guy who did have accountants who were stealing from him who ended up going to prison for tax fraud," uh, because you know you can't say, uh, "Look, you know, uh, this is uh, uh, someone else did this. It's not me." Uh, ultimately, you're the one signing your return. You're the one who's responsible. Um, you know, do we think that Donald Trump is filling out, you know, every line on his tax returns? No, he certainly has advisors that are doing that. But um, at the end of the day, the law says it's 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 him. It's the taxpayer who who is uh, has to take responsibility. That was Bloomberg News reporter Laura Davison. You can find ups in the minute news on the latest tax and accounting developments at our website 
news.bloombergtax.com. That website, once again, is news.bloombergtax.com. And if you have any thoughts about today's podcast, reach out to us on Twitter. We use the handle at tax. That's at T-A-X. Talking Tax is produced by me, Amanda Icone, and David Schultz. Kathy Larson is our editor. Thanks for tuning in to Talking Tax. From Washington, I'm Amanda Icone. When it comes to the environment, there are, let's say, a lot of moving parts. Climate change, air pollution, water pollution, chemical contamination, endangered species, renewable energy, superfund, asbestos, recycling, lead, mold, radon, stormwater... That's where Parts Per Billion comes in. Join me, David Schultz, on the Parts Per Billion podcast every Wednesday to sort out everything that's going on in the environment, from the courts to Congress to your backyard. Download and subscribe to Parts Per Billion wherever you get your podcasts, and thanks for listening.